Good afternoon. So good to see everyone today. If you're wondering if I got a new wardrobe, it just means uh, the choice have finally moved into our new home and uh, unboxing some winter clothes finally. <laughs> so thank you for your prayers and encouragement uh, in this long uh, months of transition. We're continuing our series, Rediscover Church, guided by the book of the same title by Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman. And we're studying through each chapter of the book in our three-part topical sermon series to consider the what and who the Bible says the church is. Today, in answering the question, do we really need to gather, we'll be finishing part one of our series, the first uh, three of nine talks, and we'll return to continue our series in a few months for part two, when we'll talk about the priority of preaching and teaching, meaningful church membership, and church discipline in the local church. Today, as I shared, uh, we are discussing the question, do we really need to gather? And really, the topic of today's study is a very brief overview of the theology of worship, what scripture teaches regarding worship, what it is. And a wonderful and concise resource on this subject is a book titled Corporate Worship by our good friend Matt Merker. Much of what I will share today will be derived from that book, so I encourage you to purchase a copy and read it and be greatly, greatly edified in your discipleship. Uh, to start, let me say the subject of corporate worship and why, as Christians, we need to gather regularly is one of great importance. Because especially in our day, so many churches, perhaps with good intentions, have opted to approach the Sunday gathering with human creativity, with innovation and pragmatism, uh, whether willingly or perhaps ignorantly, uh, rather than biblical instruction. Many churches prioritize human needs rather than what God decrees. What I'm telling you is that when it comes to the corporate gathering of God's people, God has not left it to our own discretion to figure out how to approach Him in worship. In fact, He has given us in His Word throughout the Old and the New Testament what is required to rightly worship Him. So it's true, yes, although the COVID-19 pandemic has made it challenging for many Christians around the world to gather together under God's Word, and as so many churches are tempted for perhaps practical or even necessary reasons to find alternatives to in-person gatherings in these strange and hard days. Uh, for example, a church may have a number of older folks in their membership who are more at risk uh, with the virus, etc. Nevertheless, we as Christians seeking to be faithful to God and to His Word must understand and maintain what the Bible teaches about what and who the church is and why and how we ought to gather together. Now, at NCBC, we believe the best way Christians can grow in the Word and the best way non-Christians can come to know God is through God's Word. Hence, the normal means we would present God's Word on a weekly basis is through expositional preaching, which is studying God's Word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, where the point of the sermon is the point of the passage that we'll be studying. But for these few weeks, we thought it would be helpful for our young church to learn the importance of the doctrine of the church, what the Bible teaches about what the church is, hence these topical sermons to help us grow better as a church corporately and as members individually. This afternoon, to help guide our discussion and considering the question, do we really need to gather? I want to share with you three biblical truths regarding the why, why of our gathering. Here's three points. Gathering, point number one, is what a church is. Point number one. 
Gathering is what a church is. It is our identity. Point number two, gathering is who a church represents. It is our purpose. Gathering is who a church represents our purpose. And finally, point number three, gathering is how a church fulfills our mission. Gathering is how a church fulfills our mission. I pray throughout time together you'll be reminded of the gift we have been given as New Covenant Baptist Church, the privilege we have to gather together every Sunday to worship God without any prohibitions. I pray some of you will rediscover your love for the church by coming to understand more deeply the significance of the Sunday gathering, why you are here today, and that it will fuel your worship, your singing, your praying, your hearing of the word, your seeing the word today through the Lord's Supper, uh, which we'll participate in at the end of service. I pray that it will, even it will fuel your discipling and evangelism, how you proclaim the word of the Lord uh, this week in your home, at work, and at school. And I pray for some of you, for anyone who do not consider yourself a Christian, whether you are visiting or for some of you perhaps used to go to church, but for whatever reason you have become discouraged about the church, that what you experience here today through our gathering will point you to Christ, who has called you today and calls us here together and every Sunday to know him, to be built up in him, and to build one another up. The Lord has called you today, so welcome. Thank you so much for coming here. And I pray, most importantly, that all of us will see Jesus Christ as a loving Savior, worthy of our worship this afternoon. Amen? So point number one, do we really need to gather? The answer is yes, because the gathering is what the church is. It is our identity. The gathering is what the church is. It is our identity. First and foremost, reason why the church gathers is because the Bible commands believers to meet together. This is true all throughout the Old Testament, but especially in the New Testament. In fact, as our friend Bobby Jameson has astutely stated, ever since God's people were banished from his presence after the fall in Genesis 3, God has been at work gathering them back to himself. Ever since God's people were banished from his presence after the fall in Genesis 3, God has been at work gathering his people back to himself. So we see in Exodus 35, 1, after God rescues them from the bondage of the Egyptians, uh, and why does he gather the people? Why does he free them? Why does he lead them out of the bondage? So that they may worship him freely. It says in Exodus 35, 1, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. In Numbers 8, 9, And you shall bring the Levites before the tent of meeting and assemble the whole congregation of the people of Israel. In Deuteronomy 31, 12, assemble the people, men and women and little ones, and the sojourners within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law. In Joshua 18, 1, the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh. In Judges 20, verse 1, the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mitzvah. In 1 Kings 8, 1, then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel. In Jeremiah 26, 17, and the elders of the land arose and spoke to all the assembled people. Joel chapter 2, 16 says, gather the people. Consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children. And I'm telling you, there are so many more verses 
that references the gathered people of God all throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, this is all the more true. Now, as New Covenant Baptist Church, we will refer to these verses very often. So go ahead and turn with me to the, uh, the scripture reading passage that Melanie Cade, our sister Melanie Cade, read for us. Hebrews chapter 10. Turn it there real quick. And let's look at verses 23 through 25 again. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. If you are new to the Bible, the big numbers are the chapter numbers. The small numbers are the verse numbers. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 through 25, which says this. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, the way in which Christians hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, is to not neglect to meet together and to encourage one another in the gathering. Amen? Furthermore, 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14, there Apostle Paul gives detailed instructions on how our gatherings should meet for the common good, for love and unity, and for building up. Simply, gathering together isn't just something churches do. Gathering is, in part, what a church is. Let me say that again. Gathering together isn't something churches do. Gathering is what a church is. As we discussed two weeks ago when we asked the question, what is a church? Again, God has saved us as individuals. That is true. But he saved us in order to be a corporate assembly. Christians go to church to worship because we are the church. Do you see how a right understanding of ecclesiology, doctrine of the church, what the church is, shapes our doxology, doctrine of worship, how we worship? In other words, there is a strong, a direct correlation in how a congregation understands itself to be a church and the way it worships as a church. If Christians don't understand what the Bible says a church is, the way in which those group of Christians gather will be left to their own human wisdom. This is why so much pragmatism has infected our churches in the way they gather in our generation. This is, in fact, the mantra of churches today. Meet the needs of the people. It's so common and real in our evangelicalism, isn't it? For example, in the previous church I used to serve at on a given Sunday, there were 12 different services going on on the same day. Of course, this was pre-COVID, not sure how it is now. But it wasn't even because the services were packed it's because they wanted to meet the needs of the people. A service for early risers at 6.30 a.m. A service for late risers at 1 p.m. A service for those who preferred choir music at 8.30 and 10. A service for those who preferred contemporary music at 11.30. A service for those who preferred service to be in a certain language in another time. A service for children, a service for the middle school, service for the high school, service for whatever language-speaking students at another time, a service for college students. I wondered whether churches like this have considered 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 for the common good, for love and unity, for building up the body. In other words, if a church never gathers together as one church under the same word, in the same place, physically, that church simply, according to the scripture, is not a church, 
that church is not an assembly, not a gathering. Now, there's a lot of implications for what I just said and different rabbit trails we can chase. Multi-site churches, multi-service churches, video streaming, live streaming, virtual churches. But my main point, again, is that Christians really need to gather together because gathering together is what makes up a church. It is our identity. It is the nature of who we are. We together, corporately, is the outpost of God's kingdom on earth, an embassy of heaven, the bride for whom Christ died, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ. It is the display of the gospel before a world that needs the Savior. Through our gathering, we are the people of God. Through our gathering, we are the New Covenant Baptist Church. Brothers and sisters, that church isn't a discretionary add-on to the Christian faith or where really serious believers get to grow or a rally designed to attract outsiders through inspiring experiences or something that you can casually, as your schedule allows or when convenient for you, come in and come out, right? The gathering of Christians is the very identity of who we are. Let's make it clear that the church is not optional. Let me say it again for the Christian. Sunday service is not optional. It is essential. And I can say that boldly uh, because the church is central in how God makes the gospel visible to this dark and dying world. We ought to remember these verses when we are tempted to stay in bed or tune into some online service after a hard week at work and at school. We ought to remember Hebrews 10, Uh, At the first announcement of a snowstorm, when all other churches are posting cancellations of their services, rain or shine, snow or storm, if we can help it, the church will gather together. Amen? I get it. These are strange times, and it has made it extremely difficult for us to gather, especially with those who have health concerns and family members to care for. I get that. Okay? But I think Jonathan Lehman says it clearly and poignantly, the virtual church is an oxymoron. It is contradictory to what the church is, what the gathering of God's people is. Technology can never be a substitute for presence. Technology can never be, will never be, according to the scriptures, can be a substitute for presence. I think the authors of the book, Rediscover Church, had it right. It's a virtual church or any other substitute. Any of these means, any of these substitutes, is a means to push individualization or consumerism. And the Bible speaks of no such thing. Any other means of church other than the regular, physical assembling of God's people as a permanent option. Let me emphasize a permanent option, keeping in mind there are difficult things that are going on, even with the best intentions. right? Any other substitute, any other options than the permanent, regular assembling of God's people hurts Christian discipleship. It trains Christians to think of their faith in autonomous, independent terms, and it should never be. It teaches them that they can follow Jesus as members of the family of God in some abstract sense without teaching them what it means to be part of a family and to make sacrifices for a family. So imagine, as a husband, James Choi, who has committed to my wife in a covenant marriage, never shows up at my house. Imagine if all I ever want to do in terms of relating with my wife is to send nice text messages. Hey, Jerry, how are you doing? And instead of showing up at home, I only want to FaceTime my wife when I want to see her face. Would that make sense? Would that ever make me a good husband? 
In order for me to be a good husband, I have to show up. I have to be present. I have to be there through thick and thin for our marriage, for our growth, for my sanctification, for my wife. In the same way, the only other place as Christians we talk about making covenants in Scripture is the relationship between God and His people. And the covenant you take when you commit to be a member of a local church is in a way how you commit to know and grow in Christ among His people. It is God's plan for us in how we can watch our life and doctrine for us and our hearers according to 1 Timothy 4.16. So I want to encourage all of us as we reflect and recite our church covenant before taking the Lord's Supper at the close of service in just a few minutes. Examine your hearts, whether you are all present to uphold the covenant you made before God and with this church body. And if you are a visitor, not joined to any other church, consider how you might be able to fulfill God's will for your life by committing to this church body for your growth and for God's glory. Now, lest you think what I'm saying is legalism, all about what you have to do and how you have to measure up. Listen to this next part carefully because what we are called as Christians, if you are a Christian, is actually impossible to do on our own strength. It is only by God's grace. We are who we are, which leads me to my next point. Do we really need to gather? The answer is a resounding yes because the gathering is who the church represents. It is our purpose. It is our purpose. Perhaps for some of you here, the thought of committing to a church or covenanting with a group of people is suffocating and just brings a bad taste in your mouth because of the bad experiences you've had at previous churches. Maybe it feels restrictive. Perhaps you wrongly think that your faith is private between you and God. As long as me and God are cool, it's all good. Well, again, Scripture teaches us we are called to be a corporate Body. There is no such thing, no legitimate thing, as an individual Christian apart from the body. There is no such thing as a Christian who do not gather regularly with a group of Christians in a local church. If you think you are an exception, examine the scriptures to see whether you are in disobedience and therefore in sin. And I pray that today will be the day that you would reconsider and recommit to being part of God's local church. Furthermore, speaking of individualized religion, some churches or denominations teach wrongly that you individually are kings or queens of God or some sort of inheritors of heavenly riches in terms of earthly treasures. Those people are in for a rude awakening because for the Christian, the riches and the most glorious treasures we will inherit in heaven is to worship Christ the King of kings and the Lord of lords without any inhibitions for all of eternity. And I guarantee you, it will be the most amazing thing to see him, to see Christ as he truly is in all of his glory and majesty. He will be breathtaking for all of eternity. You'll just get a glimpse of him and like (gasps) forever because he will be truly amazing to truly know the blessing and the measureless grace of salvation and to be called his children will be the most amazing thing. It will not compare to the earthly treasures of this world. That is what it means to be the church, his bride, his body, his temple. Hallelujah. Sorry, a bit of a rabbit trail there, but back to the point. Scripture teaches the local church is a gathering But we don't assemble ourselves on our own initiatives, by our own strengths. 
We become a gathering only because God has drawn us, his people, together. He is the one who makes us a body. And he is the one who brings the body together each Lord's day. Simply, we gather together week after week after week after week for generations, for, for two, over two millennia. Why? How? By God's grace. A pastor told a story of a man who woke up one Sunday morning, and this man was feeling especially undesirous of going to church. He thought to himself, I don't really want to deal with those folks who don't like me and who talk bad about me. I don't really care this morning today to put on my Sunday best. Maybe I'll stay home today and catch up on some TV shows or watch some football games that most other guys seem to enjoy on Sundays. So why not me? Today is my day off. So he did all he can, this man, to pull the usual tricks, pretend he was sick, fake coughing, putting the thermometer by the lamp to raise the temperature, speak in a weak voice. He called to his wife and his kids, hey guys, you're going to have to go to church without me today. I feel really sick. And the wife responded, well then, who's going to preach the sermon? (laughs) The point of that story is that even pastors sometimes don't want to go to church. Let me just say, this sermon illustration is not about me, (laughs) but I can honestly say to you, that I'm not free of the temptation from time to time in all my years of being a Christian and being a pastor for these 18 years or so, that I have not been exempt uh, from these temptations, these thoughts. The point is, it is only by God's grace you and I made it here this morning. Hallelujah. Matt Merker says, when we recognize it is God's initiative in gathering his people, it reframes how we conceive of our worship, doesn't it? Think about the well-known passage of Scripture in Romans 12, 1. Turn there right now really quick. Romans 12, verse 1. The well-known verse, which says this. Romans 12, verse 1, which says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We often forget we are able to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. How? We don't do it by our own strengths, by our own merits. Look at the first phrase. That's why I asked you to open up the Bible there. How? How do we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship? What does the first part of that verse say? Talk to me now. Talk to me now. Come on. By the mercies of God. Simply put, without God's mercy, sinners like you and me cannot worship God. Sinners like you and me cannot. It is impossible for you and I to worship God apart from God's mercy. Isn't it true? I know many of you have experienced this. You plan to go to church and something comes up or something happens. You get in a fight with your wife. You're late to church and your child throws up all over the back of the seat. Or someone cuts you off and four-letter words just come out of your mouth unintentionally. Or you get news of something bad and it totally ruins your mood for the church. Tell me, can I get a witness? Something like this happens pretty often. And then you blame your wife and then you blame your kids and you blame that terrible driver who cut you off. But somehow you make it to church and now you have to pretend your best to save face and get your best worship on. 
right? So sure, you can fake your way through a service. You can fake singing. These masks help a little bit, right? You can fake listening while you are thinking about everything else going on in your life. Or by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, you can ask the Lord to calm your troubled mind. You can ask by the mercies of God to lift up the burdens of your heart. By the mercies of God, ask the Lord to give you ears and eyes to see his truth. To be reoriented in our gaze from the things of this world, from our circumstances, from our disappointments and discouragements, back to him who is our sovereign Lord, who is in control. Amen? Scripture says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Psalm 16, 11 says, You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence, in your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand, are pleasures forevermore. And one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 73, verses 21 through 28, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was a senseless and ignorant. I was a brute and a beast before you. Yet... I am always with you by your grace, by your mercy. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me to glory. Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me... But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of your deeds. I will testify. Brothers and sisters, our gathering here today is a gift we are receiving from God. And we have the opportunity to give back to God what we receive from God back to him in worship. Simply when we say, I trust in you, I believe in you, I hope in you, and you look around at the brothers and sisters around you who you know have had tough weeks this week and going through a thousand different trials, you see them singing the same lines, believing, trusting, and hoping. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And as you sing that together with your brothers and sisters, you know. You are not alone, don't you? And then your prayers from, I trust in you, I believe in you, I hope in you, turns to, we believe in you, we trust in you, we hope in you, hallelujah. I love how one theologian says, the worship of the church is a matter of divine activity rather than human creativity. The worship of the church is a matter of divine activity. God is at work in the midst of us. This is not human creativity, human innovation. Brothers and sisters, God the Father foreknows and predestines a people for himself on the basis of his own sovereign and loving will. He calls sinners like you and me to trust him, and he justifies the guilty, and he transforms us from idolaters into worshipers. He will hold us fast to the end. 
This is a congregation of the weary but hopeful pilgrims. This is a congregation of redeemed sinners. This is a congregation of those who are hoping, trusting ever. This is a congregation who represents Christ is all in all. This is a congregation that makes the gospel visible by this very gathering. Well, what is the gospel? The good news of Jesus who has made every believer hear what and who we are by his grace, the good news of Jesus Christ is the best news you will ever hear. That the righteous God who created all things in love has had a plan from the very beginning to set apart our people for himself, for his glory, and for our good. Who would come to know his love, who would be made alive by his love, who would display his love as a corporate body, the church, But as scripture teaches us, this awesome salvation has nothing to do with us, but fully on who he is and what he has done. We know this because since the beginning, when we ever had a choice, man chose to disobey God and distrust God's word, didn't we? This is true not only of the first man, Adam, but every man to ever live since then. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that no one is righteous, not even one. Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all, every single person, man, woman, child that will ever be born or, or is born like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Hence, we were separated from God. We are separated from God, eternally and justly condemned to death, God's wrath and judgment in eternal hell. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now in this moment, the wrath of God, the punishment of sin remains on you, the scripture says. Well, that plan, the plan that God had from the beginning was a plan to save his people. And how does he do it? By sending his own son, Jesus who is truly God and truly man, who would live a sinless life, perfectly obedient to God the Father. He lived for us the substitute life and died for us a substitute death that we may be crucified with him in his death and be made alive with him in his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, as scripture teaches us, has conquered and defeated sin, death, and Satan once and for all. And by his sacrifice and by his finished work on the cross, we have been graced and mercied to know him and believe in him and to trust him and proclaim him as his people. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So friend, if you are here this afternoon and you know yourself to not be a Christian, do not think that you came here by accident. You are here by God's sovereign mercy. He is calling on you today, today, this moment. Don't let another day pass by. Believe, repent, and trust in him today, this afternoon, and live the new and abundant life with him forevermore. I'll be standing at the back door. If you want to learn more about what this means to follow Christ, our service leader will be standing at this back door, and Pastor Jeremy will be standing on the outside door. We would love to talk to you, if you're not a Christian, on how you can follow Christ. And dear brothers and sisters of NCBC, how does a renewed understanding of corporate worship, the corporate gathering, change the way you ought to approach our Sundays? Practically, this is one of the reasons why we don't call our services worship And this is one of the reasons why we don't call our music team worship team, because we believe scripture teaches all of life is worship. 
and all of our time at this gathering, including the music, is worship. Music, prayers, reading and hearing the word, and seeing the scripture, seeing the word through baptism and Lord's Supper. How ought we treasure and prioritize our Sunday gatherings? How should this sometimes inconvenient, humanly speaking, weekly meeting give us encouragement and allow us to faithfully love one another and witness God's grace and mercy? I was talking to a brother the other day about how even just telling somebody at work, hey, on Sundays I can't go to a football game, I can't hang out with you on Sundays because I have to go to church, is a very effective means of evangelism. What a great way to tell somebody, hey, I'm going to church, I can't hang out, I have to go to church, I'm going to community group. What an awesome way to share with somebody the hope that you have in Christ. Which leads me to my final point. Do we really need to gather? Point number three, much shorter point. Again, the answer is yes. We really need to gather because gathering is how a church fulfills our mission. Now I want to keep this point very simple. Gathering as God's people is necessary and essential because it fulfills our mission as God's people. Gathering as God's people is necessary and essential because it fulfills our mission as God's people. More specifically, it glorifies God, it edifies the church, and it advances the gospel. In other words, it is the means by which, as Christians, we can fulfill the Great Commission. So many of you know what the Great Commission is. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, which says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The authority of Jesus, the keys of the kingdom, as we talked about in the first sermon two weeks ago from Matthew 16, verses 18 through 19, and Matthew 18, 18, the keys of the kingdom here in the Great Commission is given to not the individual Christian, but to the church to go into all the world, to make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, by teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, by discipling them. And in this, through this, for this, Jesus says, I am with you, even to the end of the age. This is what Romans 11.36 means. From him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. So brothers and sisters, understand that the Great Commission is not a command given to the individual Christian. Otherwise, it would be impossible for an individual Christian to fulfill on his own. Hence, if we can't do it, we don't do it, it would be sin, right? Well, understand that the Great Commission is not for the individual Christian. You can't do it by yourself. An individual Christian cannot baptize someone on his own. An individual Christian cannot reach the world on his own. An individual Christian cannot make disciples even on his own. It is through the local church Corporately, together, it is a corporate effort. As the universal church, but more specifically through the local church, we can oversee the individual discipleship of one another. By gathering, we are not only helping make disciples. uh, By gathering, not only are we part of the Great Commission task, we are also being made disciples by our submission and covenant to the local church, to one another. I love what Pastor Mark Dever says. If you call yourself a Christian but do not help others follow Christ, I don't know what you mean when you say you are a Christian. Brothers and sisters of NCBC, let us, by God's great mercy and innumerable graces, 
through our weekly, regular gatherings for God's glory, for our mutual edification, may we proclaim Christ's promises to make disciples of all nations. May we together fulfill the church's mission until he returns or takes us home. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are uncertain and strange times for many of us, uh, even as we are continuing to experience the global pandemic rage on. But Father, you have called us as your people. You have called us to be a holy congregation, your bride, your church, to be set apart in this world. Help us to not fear viruses. Help us to not fear man. Help us to look to you. Help us to fear you. And by your grace, by your mercy, continue to stand firm boldly and gather together so that your testimony, your witness, your reality may be proclaimed in all the earth. Father, I do pray and do understand, Father, all of us do, that it is an extremely, strangely difficult time for many of us. But I do pray that you will strengthen and encourage all of us to continue to not give up on meeting together for your glory, for the edification, for your people, for your church, and for the advancement of the gospel. We can't do it without you. Help us, Lord. Help us persevere to the end through New Covenant Baptist Church and many other gospel-preaching churches. We thank you. We praise you for this reminder. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.